Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. What a wonderful, uh, wonderful way to start Sunday. Yes, On a great weekend yes. in every respect. Um, I'd like to talk this morning on, on this topic on, on the screen behind me. Inflow and outflow. And uh, to do so, we're going to, in a moment, turn to the book of Titus. Well, in fact, we'll do it now. Let's turn to the book of Titus. <laughs> Uh, while you're turning, just to let you know that uh, Richard and Sarah and the family are in Leicester this morning. Richard's preaching at All Nations Church, where his father is one of the elders. And um, Deborah's preaching in Market Harbor this morning. So I had to have Ted for a few minutes and um, let him be sick on my shirt. Everything's fine. <laughs> Titus is a... Um, if, if, if you're looking for Titus, you'll find it just... Just be- almost just before Hebrews, um, one of the last letters of Paul's letters as they're listed there. You've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. You might miss it because it's very small. It's a small book, but it's a really big message. And I've been thinking about this recently and just considering how relevant this message in Titus is for our day, for the day we're in. Um, as you'll see, has everybody turned there? Yeah. See, this is, this is the problem now. Those of you who don't have an actual Bible in your hands, you can't look at the whole book all at once. This is why you should always bring a Bible to church. Um, you'll see there are three chapters. They're all quite short. There's only, uh, I think, 46 verses in total. And um, and in this book, Paul, as he so often does, um, is combining themes of, if you like, uh, principle and practice. He's combining themes of, of truth and how we outwork that truth. He's combining, uh, in this particular book, two really big topics of Sound teaching and good works. Sound teaching is our inflow. It's what comes to us. And good works is our outflow. What should proceed from us and what should be the consequence of what's flowing in. So I would like us to... Just, just have a look at the book with me. The, the, first, the very first verse, we're going to read it in a moment, but the very first verse... Um, actually combines those themes. As Paul writes, he says, I'm a slave of God, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect, and for the knowledge of the truth, there's the sound teaching that leads to godliness. There's the good works. The verse that's almost um, right in the middle of the whole book, which is chapter 2 and verse 7, says something similar. He's encouraging 
the young men to be sensible about everything, to set an example of good works yourself with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Combines those ideas of teaching and good works. And, and right at the end of the book, not quite the last verse, but the last but one verse, chapter 3, verse 14, you'll see this is how he ends the book. This is his, this is his um, commissioning to them, if you like. He says, our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works. And we'll come back to that at the end of our time together. So, um, let us read the book together, shall we? It's always good to read the scriptures, and this is um, of a suitable length to do that this morning. I'll read it from the Holman, so if you care to just listen, you're very, um, obviously very welcome to do that, or follow it in your own Bible. Um, so, Titus. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle, and watch, watch out for these twin themes, especially you'll see the sound teaching theme in the first half and the good works theme in the second half. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began and has in his own time revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with by the command of God our Savior. That's quite a long um, opening line to the book, isn't it? To Titus, my true child in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer, as God's manager, must be blameless, not arrogant, not quink-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those from Judaism. It's necessary to silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching for, for dishonest gain, what they should not. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, so rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commandments of men who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. But you must speak what is consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what's good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. 
Likewise, encourage the young men to be sensible about everything. Set an example of good works yourself, Titus, with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people eager to do good works. Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, captives of various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had, that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, this Spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who've believed might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. And our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works for cases of urgent need so that they will not be unfruitful. And those who are with me, all those who are with me greet you Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. Amen. Amen. What a lovely book. What a wonderful book. And um, obviously those themes were, were evident in there in the first half where this emphasis is on sound teaching, on, on having the right message, on solid doctrine, on refuting error, on correcting false doctrine. Chapter 1, verse 9, the elders must hold to the faithful message as taught, so they're able to both, both to encourage with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. Chapter 1, verse 13, rebuke them sharply, they, they may be sound in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 1, Titus, you must speak what's consistent with sound teaching. 
Chapter 2, verse 3, the older women are to teach what's good. Chapter 2, verse 8, your message is to be sound beyond reproach. You know, the words, the words he uses there are really interesting. The word for sound, it's the word from which we get hygiene. I won't try and pronounce the Greek word, but it means uncorrupt, well, healthy, in good working order. The teaching Paul is encouraging has to be really healthy, and it will work well, and it will be clean, and it will be pure, and it will be, it will be good for us. Sound teaching. And you know as well as I do how vital that is in our day. When so many, uh, so much false teaching is so readily accessed by so many people, rendering so many um, incapacitated in the mission because of wonky teaching. And Paul says there must be sound teaching in the church. It's vital that we receive, all of us receive, a really good inflow, a really healthy inflow, a really good um, stream and source of good, sound teaching into the church, into our lives. And then in the second half of the book, where he starts to talk about, particularly about good works, chapter 2, verse 7, set an example in good works, chapter 2, verse 14, about Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. In the message it says, people who are energetic in godliness. The New Living says he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Chapter 3, verse 1. And just start to notice some of the verbs he's using here. Remind them to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to insist on these things so that those who, who believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. And the same in chapter 3, verse 14, the one we read at the end. The words here are equally, equally illuminating. The good works Paul speaks of, the word means literally beautiful, worthy, honorable, and noble. Saying, I want you to be devoted to, eager to do, ready for every kind of beautiful, worthy, honorable, noble deed and task. Those, those verbs, eager, I want you to be eager, chapter 2, verse 14. It means to be zealous, to be burning with passion, to be deeply committed. I want you to be ready. It has, has that meaning of on standby, ready to meet the opportunity, ready to meet the challenge at hand, to be devoted, chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 14, to give all your attention to. It actually has this meaning of to rule over so that you are really engaged in, really forward in, forward in good works. And Paul's apostolic burden here is this. I want you to be people of really sound faith, really well taught, really firmly founded, having really deep roots. But I want that to overflow not merely in a quest for more knowledge, 
and certainly never in fruitless argument or debate, but in a quest for godliness, for good works, for fruit that complement those roots, for good works so that others may see and give glory to God. You know, good works adorn the pages of the New Testament. Good works adorn the pages of the New Testament. I'll I'll give the references if you're writing these down, but I'll just read these without turning to all of them. In John 10, 32, Jesus says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these good works are you trying to stone me for? We'll come back to that. What were the good works they tried to stone Jesus for? Acts 10, verse 38, a verse... If I actually do turn to this one because this is, this is so important for us. You'll be hearing much more about this verse at the Bible Week this year. Acts 10, verse 38. This is, um, this is whilst uh, Peter is in Cornelius' home, sharing with some Gentiles who, who are really open to receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And he says in verse 37, you know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. I love that description of Jesus. He went around doing good. The good works of Jesus adorn the gospel stories, don't they? They make beautiful the gospel stories. These beautiful, noble, honorable things are all over the pages of the New Testament. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In Acts 9, verse 36 As we read the story of of, of Dorcas, of Tabitha, who is raised from the dead, she's described as a disciple, always doing good works and acts of charity. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 38, Paul says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. I'm going to read that one again. God is able to make every grace overflow to us, Living Rock Church. God is able to make every grace overflow to us. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Every grace, every way, excel in every good work, having everything we need. 1 Timothy 6. Verse 18, Paul says, instruct them to do what's good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to be willing to share. Hebrews 10, there's another one we can turn to. Hebrews 10, verse 24. This would be a good good weekly, if not daily, activity in our groups, in our life groups, amongst our friends. Every day we could be doing this. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us be concerned about one another. 
in order to promote love and good works. To promote love and good works. To, to be on the phone and saying, I'm just thinking about you this morning. Thinking about your work day. I'm praying you'll do good works today. We're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. So what are these good works? They are beautiful, they're worthy, they're honorable, they're noble actions and deeds. I think good works are the visible evidence of the good news of the good kingdom that we've come into. Good works are actions with good outcomes. Good works are fruitful. They are beautiful. The healing of that, that lame man at the beautiful gate was a good work. It's kind of got, kind of in the backdrop of the beautiful gate is this good work. Lifting that man up, up into employment, up into life, up into fellowship with others. There are lots of ordinary, very ordinary good works. You can, I'm sure we could, we could list a whole load of good ordinary good things we can do. They're all good. But there are also some, what I'll call, extraordinary good works. And these are the ones which have a supernatural edge to them. The extraordinary good works, the ones with a supernatural dimension. I don't think they tried to stone Jesus because he was renowned for his cake baking. Cake baking is a good work. I'm not dissing that at all. But Jesus was renowned for something extraordinary as well, wasn't he? Good works includes forgiving people. Good works includes proclaiming peace. Good works includes feeding the hungry. Good works includes healings. Good works includes miracles. Good works includes moving in all the gifts of the Spirit. Good works includes setting captives free. Good works includes raising the dead. They are, they're the good works. Jesus says, which, which of them are you stoning me for? Turn with me, um, if you have a New Living Translation only, turn with me to Proverbs 11, verse 13. Just puts this verse there in a way that is really... Um, Really wonderful for us. Proverbs 11, verse 30. Who has a new living? Translation. Graham, would you, um, nice and loud, read out for us Proverbs 11:30? And I'm just trusting you have the same version that I read this in. The same edition, if I could say. You might need to stand, dear brother, and... Project your voice. Yeah, that's not the bit we're interested in, but it's good. Okay, that is definitely not the right verse. I may have, I may have, I may have sold you a, a dummy there. Uh, no, hang on, hang on. 30, 30. Oh, yeah, okay, 30, sorry, Proverbs. Have you got it, Janet? Okay, Janet. Stand up, stand up with a big one. Janet's going to Bible college in the autumn. It is confirmed. Yes, I believe. Okay, the sea 
Oh, hallelujah. I, mean, I like verse 13 as well, but... The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. Oh, isn't that great? Should we say that together? The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. And it says, a wise person wins friends. Friends, our ordinary, day-to-day, cake-making, kindness, love, faithfulness, praying for people, loyalty, listening, listening without judging, giving, sharing, our ordinary good deeds and our extraordinary, spirit-empowered, something with a touch of the miraculous in it, our ordinary and extraordinary good deeds become a tree of life and win friends. I think good works will always transform things. Good works will always change the atmosphere. Good good works will always cause a shift to take place. And I believe the expected, the anticipated, the, the normal overflow, outflow of being saved by the good news of the kingdom and coming under good teaching in the body of Christ should be an outflow of good works. You could even say this, Paul says it in Titus, that the whole purpose of Christ coming to us is to save us so that we might do good works. Have a look again at Titus 2, verse 14. He gave himself for us. Why? Of course, to redeem us from all lawlessness, of course. And to cleanse us, of course, for himself, a special people eager to do good works. That's the outcome. That's what he's after. A people eager to do good works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, uh, well known to us, makes the point that it's not good works that save us, but it is good works we're saved for. For for by grace you're saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we're his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. This really matters, friends. It's not enough that we're well taught and secure and sound It's not enough that we're devoted to the apostolic doctrines. We must also be devoted to good works. What comes in must find a way out. That's the difference, isn't it, between a swamp and a stream. It doesn't matter how healthy the stuff coming in is. If it doesn't go anywhere, it stagnates. God wants streams of living water to flow from us. He wants the good news of the kingdom. He wants the good news of salvation. He wants the good teaching we sit under week after week after week. And we do, don't we? To result in good works flowing out from us. I have a question for us, folks. What will we be known for? What will we be known for? Church, where will we be known as a church where the teaching is sound, 
and solid and excellent. Where the teaching produces health, hygiene, cleanliness. Or will we be known for our good works? Our love, our kindness, our generosity, our commitment to these towns and villages, our unconditional reaching out, being a haven of health and deliverance. I don't really want us to be known for one or the other. I want us to be known for both of them. I think we're quite good at them both. I think we're quite good at them both. But if we're, we're especially good at teaching. But if we're serious about mission mode, then I believe these are days when our, we must give special attention to our good works. It's vital, it's essential that the world can meet Christ and connect with us and engage with the church through our good works. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And I believe he's sending us out to do just the same. And our good works, if I could put it this way, our good works are the bread and butter of our mission. We can all do them. They're the bread and butter of our mission. What must we be known for? We must be known for word and works. We must be known for principle and practice. We must be sound, really sound, and sent, really sent. We must be really well founded and really, really fruitful. We must build up and we must branch out. What goes in must go out. What comes in must go out for all of us. What's put in on a Sunday must have an outlet. I'd like to think of it this way. Sound teaching is our message to the church. But good works is our message to the world. Good works is our mission to the world. And if our actions don't speak as loudly as our words, then we have no real voice in our world. You know, um, the debate of, of, of lots of the last 50 years in church circles has been between the Word and the Spirit. With some churches and some movements preferring to emphasize the Word and be orthodox and teach well and and present truth and be good evangelicals and others preferring to emphasize the spirit and the baptism in the spirit and the charismatic gifts of the spirit and the manifestations of the spirit and being good charismatics. Do you know that debate is a gross insult to the word and the spirit? There is never a dichotomy between word and spirit. They always go, you only have to read the first verse of the Bible to know that. In the beginning was God and and the Spirit was hovering and God spoke a word. And word and Spirit combined to create life. You only have to read Ephesians where Paul talks about the the armor of God and he says the the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. They work together. There's no dichotomy between word and Spirit. To, to even debate it as an insult to either of them. 
There is no debate. The church is fundamentally supernatural, spiritual. And that always means founded on the word. I agree too. I wonder whether the debate of the coming years will be between, um, I'll call it staying in and going out. I wonder whether the growing um, intolerance and persecution and uh, ridicule will mean that some groups prefer to focus on building family, having community, being an alternative society, and others believe their mission is to go out and be in the world. And again, surely there's no dichotomy. Churches that will make an impact will be those who embrace both being together and going out. So, if you're with me so far, how do we turn up the dial on our good works? How do we increase the outflow? We're quite good. How do we increase it? How do we, how do we, how do we turn up the dial? How do we expand our missionary endeavor? How do we see greater impact in our communities? How do we see people saved and added here every week and then every day? How do we crack Colville? How do we transform Tamworth? I couldn't think of an M word to go with Market Harborough. Because you see, um, mission mode can, could be just a slogan. Couldn't it? I mean, it's a great slogan, but that's what, it could be just a slogan. A thousand member church could be just a dream. Um, we actually have to grow substantially. We actually have to increase massively. And that can seem daunting and, and a bit scary, and, and, and it might seem to you to be impossible. And there's lots involved. We must raise our profile. We must broadcast testimonies. We must be really good at inviting our friends. But I do believe the basics are our good works. I don't think it's so hard as we might imagine. I think it might be much simpler than we realize. So I want to draw things to a close and suggest four simple, I always do that, four, four simple actions that will help us, help me, help you, help all of us to turn up that dial. Are, are you, do you want this? Do you, do you want to turn the dial up? Well, that's the first thing. The first thing is this, make a decision. Make a decision, David. Make a decision, church. Let me go back to those verbs Paul uses. Make a decision to be eager, zealous, boiling over with passion, burning with zeal, deeply committed. Make a decision to be eager to do good works. Make a decision, church. Make a decision, David, to be ready, prepared, standing by, ready to meet the opportunity or the challenge. You know what that is. It's a chopportunity. Oh, that's lost on some of you. That's lost on you if you've only been with us for the last five years. Um, make a decision to be devoted, to give your attention, to practice diligently, to be engaged, to be really forward. Can I put, put it this way? 
be a bit pushy in doing good works, make a decision, number one. Number two, pray, 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 pray for your unsaved friends, for family, for neighbors, for colleagues, for schoolmates, college friends. Make a decision and then pray without ceasing for those people in your sphere of influence so that you begin to feel the love of God for them, so that you begin to feel the compassion that Jesus feels for them, so that you begin to feel moved as he is moved for those people that you see regularly in your sphere of influence. Pray for them. Pray for them. We can all do that, can't we? Until you start to feel what he feels for our friends and our neighbors. Number three, ask. Ask the Holy Spirit, our helper, our friend, our counselor, our encourager, our provoker, our leader, our guide. Ask the Holy Spirit to anoint and empower us for the daily adventure of doing good. Ask him to show us how, where, and when. Ask him to lead us into all the ordinary and all the extraordinary that he has for us. And then fourthly, act. Just do it. Adorn your day with good works. I love that word, adorn, to beautify. Adorn your day with good works. The ordinary, everyday good works and the extraordinary supernatural actions, let us become known for our good works. Expressing love and compassion. Being really kind. Being gentle. Giving blessing. Meeting needs. Praying for people. Displaying loyalty. Listening without judging. Defending, protecting, encouraging healing, forgiving, proclaiming peace, setting people free. You know as well as I do, the world doesn't take kindly to a do-gooder. But I reckon the world's pretty positive about a good doer. Let's be good doers. Let's be good doers. People that do good, let's be good doers. We enjoy great inflow. Um but it must be matched by great outflow. We must be people who are both sound and sent, who are people with, with a great message and a great mission. I want to just finish with um, reading again the verse from Acts 10 and then the last verse in Titus, and then we're going to pray together. Acts 10, 37 and 8 from the message. Remember, Peter is talking to Cornelius about all that's been going on in the last few years. And he says, and then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. I like that. Jesus arrived, anointed by God, and ready for action. Oh, I don't know, I don't know whether our region knows what's about to be unleashed on it. A few hundred people anointed by God, ready for action. And he went through the country, doing good, helping people, and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil, 
And he was able to do all this because God was with him. You see, he didn't do all that because he was, because he was God. He did all that because God was with him. Yes. He did all that in the same power, right. the same possibility for all of us. God is with us just as he was with Jesus in his incarnate form. God is with us to anoint us that we might be ready for action, Amen. to go around doing good Amen. and helping up and healing and laying our hands on and, and encouraging and setting free all who are beaten down by the devil. What a great task that will be for us in the days ahead. So Titus ends like this, verse 14, chapter 3. And our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works. Then he adds this interesting little statement. For cases of urgent need, so that they will not be unfruitful. The Lord wants us to be really, really, really fruitful. And as, we, as I finish this part of our gathering, I, I want to pray for us that we will all be ready for action. But I just have a, this thought that this week we will meet people whose need is urgent. How many of you will be at work tomorrow? Just hands up nice and high. How many... Okay, let's just look around the room, folks. These are our, this, is our, this is our family who will be at work tomorrow. I think you're going you're gonna to come across some people whose need is urgent, yeah? With an urgent need. And as you're there, because of, because of today, because of what the Lord is saying to us, you'll be really aware of it. This is it. Here's the urgent need. Here's the urgent need that somebody's having a conversation and I'm picking up, my, ra my antennae is shaking. There's an urgent need here. Hands up again if you'll be at work tomorrow. When you become aware of the urgent need, are you going to be ready for action? Ready for action? Meeting an urgent need? How many of you, thank you, how many of you will be at home tomorrow in some way? Okay, now you may think just because you're not at work, you might be in less contact with urgent needs. I'm not so sure about that. Hands up, keep your hands up. I know it's hard to keep those hands up for too long, but church family, these are those that won't be at work tomorrow, but we believe they are equally able to meet needs, to do good works, and to meet urgent needs. And I want us to pray that. Folks, we'd be really we'd be really ready for action. All that flows in will find a way out. The good news that we've embraced, the good teaching that we enjoy, will all find its outflow in good works. The bread and butter of our mission that will really change things and transform things and have an impact on people and lift up some lives. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together in his presence and... I wanted to just share something this morning that was simple to embrace. Yeah, really I believe that's Paul's great heart for the church. Yeah. Be well-founded and be really fruitful. Yeah. That must be the Lord's heart for us, mustn't it? Yeah. So Lord, we stand before you this morning. Thank you. We thank you for all that flows into our lives to keep us clean and healthy.
We thank you that we, we know Jesus. We thank you that the good news of your kingdom has saved us as we, as we returned from our sin and found peace with you. And I want to pray that every one of us this morning, Lord, we will find ourselves having decided and prayed and asked you to lead us. We'll, we'll dis, we will find ourselves, Lord, even this week, with many opportunities to do good. Not to be do-gooders, but to be good-doers, Lord. That we will be those whose lives are expressing and giving evidence and adorning our everyday with beautiful works, beautiful acts, acts of kindness, acts of generosity, Lord, acts of loyalty and faithfulness, acts of consideration and compassion, acts that cost us, acts of sacrifice, acts that lift others up, acts that prefer others, beautiful acts, Lord, noble, honorable, good deeds that will all be evidence of your kingdom, of the good news that you have brought us into, Lord. We say, Lord, we will give you glory and honor. We will magnify your name. For you are God. You're good. We want our lives to express that this week. I want to pray for all who will be at work, that our ears will be attuned and our, our spirits alert. And every urgent need we become aware of, we'll know you've equipped us, you've prepared us, and we're ready to respond and do all we can to help. For those that will be at home, Lord, this week will be a week of many good works that will bring glory to your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.